All right. It is 10 o'clock. Welcome, friends. Uh, we, so we see there are elders here. There are friends that we respect. There are former teach, teacher emeriti of this class series in the past. All kinds of people we don't want to embarrass ourselves in front of. So this is great. Uh, uh, here's just very briefly kind of what we're going to talk about today. I guess we should kind of start with introductions. I'm Daniel Norton. This is my wife, Mary. Brett Ellis and his wife, Betsy, is... She's uh, singing on Price Team today, so, so she can't be here. <laughs> so, Brett and I are co-leaders of a high school covenant group who are now sophomores. Yes. Then they are awesome. Uh, Mary and I have gone to Otter Creek for... It's closing in on 20 years. We met here. In the singles group? Yeah. Uh, me and Betsy have been going here for about three years, and I started going here because she was here. Uh, so I guess we that's a good we met each other at Harding um, like eight or nine years ago. I've been married for three or two years. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, that's that's us. Our our class this summer is uh, Ray Vanderland video series. If you like, we really really enjoyed the the class that Michael and Kyle led last summer. Uh, we're kind of keeping this up, and so interested in learning more history and archaeology behind the scriptures that we read. Uh, thus far, so it's going to go all the way till the end of August, and here's kind of the briefly here uh, first couple of classes that we're going to have a look at. So before we jump into things, would you like oh, to yeah. lead us in a? I'm going to read the oh, announcements, announcements and, and then, prayer, and then I will pray. So. Uh, family news. Our Patriarchs, Kings, and Prophets series beginning this coming Wednesday night at 7 p.m. in the gym. It um, begins, yes. We will study scripture together in a multi-generational setting. Child care for ages zero to two years is available, but you must register online. Um, <clears throat> Elsa Cooper, three-year-old granddaughter of Bobby and Sonia Culvert, under, is undergoing chemotherapy until March 2017. And we have had two baptisms. Thomas Swafford, son of Tony and Tara Swafford, was uh, baptized on May 30th, as well as Peyton Pisacani, uh, son of Frank and Paige, baptized May 30th as well. Well, I will lead us in a prayer, and uh, I'll pass this in around after that. Please pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for bringing us all here today. We can't see the tons of small decisions that, that has brought us all here is bringing us to the foot of the cross and God be with us this summer as we are gathering together with uh, Ray and, and Mary Dan and my wife as, as we learn more about what it means to walk the path to the cross and, and what it meant for men and women 2,000 years ago. And God just uh, be with us in our lives and be with, uh, be with those that were just baptized and, and Elsa as she's going uh, chemotherapy. God, just uh, continue to keep us faithful and give us opportunities to serve you and love you. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Oh, sorry. Yeah, that's uh, email uh, list. We're going to be sending out weekly emails, so if you would, just uh, sign up for that if you would like. And hopefully with some good content uh, from the study guide. There's a lot more than we can ever do in 45 minutes. So. Yeah. Okay, here is our opening thought for today. The very words of God from Isaiah 40, 30, 43 through 5. 
a voice of one calling in the desert prepare the way for the Lord make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God every valley shall be raised up every mountain and hill made low the rough ground shall become level the rugged places a plain and the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all mankind together will see it for the mouth of the Lord has spoken Okay, so our first video lesson today is about a group of people called the Essenes. And this is a question for us to brainstorm before we watch the video. The Essenes were very passionate, obedient, faithful, and devoted to following every word that came from the mouth of God. So let's talk for just a moment about modern culture to us, what do you think a life of passionate obedience and faithful devotion to God looks like today? And then once we brainstorm, we'll be able to contrast that with what we see in the video. So Dan's gonna write down just a quick brainstorm. Yeah, tell me some of your ideas. What's this look like for us today? A real passionate obedience, I think it's kind of like what the essence is with, just giving up all earthly things and all material things and, and all worries. Okay, yeah. Mm -hmm. Things and worries. Awesome. I've seen this in others, but it's more of an all-in mentality. It's not yeah. dealing with uh, you know other worldly things. It's focusing directly on, it's kind of blinders on just what's in the word. All in is really good. Yeah, that's awesome. As Josh talked about this morning, giving up our fear. And we'll see in a moment, there was certainly the opportunity for fear in the desert. To me, there's a, a life of prayerfulness So let's think how this looks today and also how it looks for the Essenes long ago. All right. Let's make sure I don't blast our ears out here. It's so much louder when there's no one in the room. Listen to him. So there could be a second Moses in a sense. 
was the Messiah. Hebrew Bible, where he brought that into the wilderness for 40 years. 
isolated them from the Egyptian and Canaanite cultures and molded and shaped a generation that was ready then to do what he wanted. Now, there are three things in particular that I would like to stress that they found extremely important. First is this. Like Israel in the desert had to learn to live by every word that comes from the mouth of God, they came out here to say, we're going to live by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So this text was the heart and soul of what this community was. And you've all heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls and understand the Dead Sea Scrolls, many of which are biblical texts, or studies of biblical texts, all of them are that, are their attempts to live by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Right over here is a room called the Scriptorium. Many believe some of the Dead Sea Scrolls were actually written there. In that room, they found two large clay writing benches, and they found inkwells. So we know writing went on in that room, and the assumption is some of the scrolls at least were written in that room. Extremely carefully, because this, after all, is the word of God. You're standing in what probably was a study room. Notice the benches along the wall. Imagine a dozen, two dozen individuals sitting like this. Maybe they even had a scroll, but given what scrolls would have cost and how precious they were, I doubt you each have your own Bible. They did, I'm sure. But imagine somebody in the middle, seated or standing, and when the word of God is read, you would assume they stood up. But as you sit here, you hear the instruction about what that happens from the Bible means. And then maybe the leader would say, repeat these words after me. Remember how the Lord led you. All the way in the desert. These 40 years. To humble you and to test you. In order to know what was in your heart. Whether or not you would obey his commands. He humbled you. Causing you to hunger, then fed you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, in order to teach you that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. The very words of God. And then again, we sit and get instruction on what that meant how we should learn that. And maybe then you go up there where your family is living somewhere and you share it with them and recite the text. That community was deeply engaged in learning, in loving, in trying to obey, in trying to understand their three words And that creates an environment in which Jesus' teaching is richer and stronger and clearer
sister. It's a ritual bath called mikvah. Now, that was an idea that apparently was born among the Essenes. It represents a ritual washing. The English word is baptism. Now, I'd like to suggest that there's not an equal sign between that baptism and Christian baptism of any type. This baptism was called the baptism of repentance. Not a believer's baptism or an infant's baptism, but a baptism of repentance. Repent and your sins are forgiven. Now you go down into the ritual waters. You don't go in to be washed. Your inside is pure already. And now the baptism is your way of saying, I devote myself to cleanness and righteousness. I'm now ritually pure in this community. That makes sense. So sometimes I think we look at their baptism as go down in the water, repent and be forgiven, and then come out. But the repentance happens before. And you hear where that's going. That sounds a lot like a baptism we read about in our Christian text. You need to see these people as godly people who are wrestling with their text and are being shaped by God to prepare the way for the coming of Messiah. Now, in all of our study here, these few minutes, the one thing you haven't seen is where did they live? We now have an idea. Come, let me show you. you up here on the side of the mountain ridge here along the Dead Sea in the wilderness of Judah. And we've been walking through a fairly recent archaeological excavation, a recent archaeological dig by a very prominent Israeli scholar. He was here looking for the places where the Essenes may have lived. Well, this scholar came here up in these hills and found a series of 28 huts like the one you're in right now. Very simple, often just the natural boulders and then a few rocks piled on top to create about a five to six foot wall. The belief is originally there was some kind of a sunroof, maybe nothing more than palm branches or even a tent over top in the irrigated area. I don't honestly know, but I've come here to show you how the Essenes did live. Whether this is Essene or not, this is how they would live out here in the desert. So imagine a family coming from somewhere in the beautiful fertile green land, moving out here into the desert, some for weeks and months, some for years, and some for life, and living here. You can hardly imagine it. I mean, we're here on a warm day, but imagine being here in July when it's 120, and there's no breeze, and here you live because of your intense commitment 
to the text of scripture and to interpreting it the way your movement understands. And they would be out here intensely studying, focusing on the word of God. Look at the level of their devotion. I mean, look where we are. There is nothing here. We are out in the middle of nowhere. Heat, dust, scorpions. This is not an easy place to live. And the question is, how badly do you want it? Whatever they were after, they wanted it badly. Here in the corner, you can see the last, the ashes of the last fire of this, this community. It lasted from about uh, 150 BC to the late 60s AD, 200, 225 years. But look, the last fires thousand years ago there was a cooking fire or I can't imagine a heating fire because it's not cold here even in January and that touches me the level of that devotion come I want to show you what they did to get living water. The Hebrew Bible says God is living water, and that water in those ritual baths is about, I'm pure because God purified me. They wanted living water in it. Now living water is water that gets where it's going under its own power. It comes from God. I don't carry it, I don't bucket it, but it flows. So they built a channel, an aqueduct, on the side of the cliff and came all the way around. Look, there's the piece of that aqueduct. Look, see it? It comes here. Here I see the plaster of it. That's covered. Here's the wall of it. So that's all the way down. We've been walking along that all the way from the ruins, several hundred yards back there. Now it comes here and then runs into this cliff. Here. They carved the cliff like this, plastering it here, came around the corner. This is really amazing here. It's about two feet wide. They had to build a wall on this side, several places a supporting wall. Then they plastered it so it wouldn't leak, of course, and it slowly makes its way along the face of the cliff. Now it came here, I still see the plaster. Now they ran into a problem. Apparently the rock is fractured enough they didn't think they could build their channel on the outside. So instead, in this dolomite, which is one of the hardest rocks here, they carved a tunnel system. So the water came here. took some serious effort. Boy, the bottom is rough, too. So the water ran through here and then came out the end.
know, it probably seems pretty, pretty simple, pretty ordinary, but I always think of that tunnel as just a classic example of what the Essenes were about. Because they thought God wanted living water, and that that would better make the point, they were willing to go to this kind of an effort. But I see a group of people here that took their Bible so seriously that because they thought that's what God was telling them, they were willing to come out here in the sun and to dig that hole through a cliff and to build that half a mile long aqueduct just to love him with all their heart, all their soul, and all their might. This is obedience, passionate, intense obedience. So let me ask you a question. For your church community, what's your tunnel? What is there that your church takes on that's over the top, just beyond what anybody can dream of for one reason? Because you want to love God with all your heart, with all your soul. That's the essence. Come, let's go see. Let's come back to the very first question we asked in this study. Why the desert? Well, you could say you come to the desert because that's what Israel did. 40 years, God shaped them. They failed enough that that generation didn't get to go, but the next one did. And so if we're going to bring the kingdom, let's go back to the place where that kingdom began, the desert. But in this case, while that may very well be true, there's a more specific reason. And that is in the text itself. Listen to the book of Isaiah. In that amazing chapter, Isaiah writes, Comfort, comfort my people, declares your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Tell her that her hard service is over. Her sin has been paid for. She has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. The voice, the voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way of the Lord. In the wilderness, make straight a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up. Every hill and mountain made low. The rough ground will become level and the rugged place a plain. And so the Essenes chose that as their theme passage. They're here because God said, prepare my way in the desert. Unpack that a bit with me. Life is a walk. Agreed? And there is a path, a way. That's exactly the word used here in Isaiah. You could translate that, prepare in the desert the path of God. Do you remember what we learned in the desert? What is God's path? Obedience, 
So to prepare the way, you do what? You come out into the desert, you learn to obey. In fact, the key of how to learn to obey is in the next verses in Isaiah. They go like this. A voice said, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All men are like grass, and their glory like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. How do you prepare the path? How do you learn to be obedient and walk that path? The answer is, you study the text. Now, if you think that's going to be an easy path, look around you. Every valley! How long would it take you to fill that valley? Every mountain! And hill. How long would it take us to lower that hill till it's level? Isaiah expected this prepare the path of God to be an enormous undertaking like nothing the world has ever seen. Now let's join our Essene friends a moment and you see why there's a fire in my soul about these people. Look where we are. Oh, there's some modern things here, but look where we are. These are people that gave up a comfortable middle-class existence, some upper class, <coughs> economically. You remember where they lived? Put yourself in one of those huts. 120 degrees in the summer, dust, heat, and here they sit, studying the text. Did you read it this morning? Did you stay awake last night? How long does the fire in your soul last? From one day to the next? From one faith lesson to the next? Those essays, they had a fire in their soul and were willing to give up everything that meant anything to bring their families out here, sit in this brutal sun because God told them to, and study the Bible. I'm going to say this, not to be judgmental of any of you, I'm going to say it of the person I see in the mirror in the morning. I don't know many essays. I don't know many people who are sold out enough to God and to his word to make the sacrifices it takes to prepare the way of the Lord. Do you? And here they sat, a community down there for over 200 years. One reason they want to prepare a way of obedience. 
Now, what did they expect would happen if they came out here and a righteous community was created, a community that loved the text, knew the text, memorized the text, studied the text, and then tried very hard with the support of God's spirit and the encouragement of the community to live the text? What did they think would happen? Well, the answer is in Isaiah. Listen. Every valley will be raised up. Every hill and mountain brought down. The rough ground will become level and the rugged places a plain. And the glory. Take Tabernacle. Take Mount Sinai. The glory of the Lord will be revealed. And all mankind will see it. They expected that if they committed themselves to obedience and righteous living, not to save them, they understand the temple system, the sacrifice system, and all of that. This is because God has redeemed them. They understood if they came out here and gave themselves totally to God and his word and to obedience, then God would come. First time he showed up publicly? I can see it. Tell me they were wrong. They were right. God did come. That's exactly what he chose to do in Jesus. There's a, there's a lot to unpack right there. Um, the video. So I'll just put up uh, a couple of the questions, discussion questions that we have. You can read that out, but just as you're thinking about it, give me some first reactions to what you just saw. I think that's right on. Okay, all right. Because I couldn't, yeah, that's not, 
that that's the, the clearing the path for the Lord. I, I think I have a little role, like not that. Though. That's not. I don't think. I mean, maybe I'm just. Yeah. Just not. I, I to whether it's. I think yeah. That is it. Is it metaphorical? What do you really? To me, the thing, and I, if we have time, I'll touch on it. If we don't, I won't. But there's the, to me, the important subtext here is is a cultural difference. We have the Jewish culture, that is, had a brief moment of sovereignty where they, they could control their own destiny, and it went away. Hellenism came in, and the, you had to make a choice, right? Am I going to become Greek, or am I going to preserve my Jewish culture? And if, what I see in here is that they chose, like, the city was Greek now. That's how it is, you know. You can, you can live in town with the conveniences of living in town, but you're going to be Greek. Or you can go way out here where nobody is, and you can preserve what you think of as Jewish culture. Who else has a thought? Could a small argument be made? I think totally there's lots of modern people that you can think of as having similar thoughts. Yeah. There was a Bedouin who found the Dead Sea Scrolls. Oh, yeah, that's another thing we'll get to if we, or I'll put in the email that we sent later is there's a Bedouin kid threw a rock in a cave. What was that? Oh my gosh, that is one of the most important archaeological finds of the 20th century, easily. I think um, the whole time I was watching it, I was just trying to think, so what does this look like today? Because we are told, we are called out to be separate, but not out of the world. In the world, but not of the world. And so I, I see that and I think, but, but if I go live off on my own, who am I influencing? that I, I might be in the Word, I might be studying it, but am I doing the Word? Yeah. And I know I'm not saved by my words, but I am called to, make, to be an influencer in the world. And so for me, a wilderness in my life, in this century, in my very life, is a place where I, when I'm with God, and I'm not where I used to be, but I'm not where, I, where He's taking me yet either. Mm -hmm. And so I'm in a wilderness lots of times during my life because of that is constantly growing me and sanctifying me and transforming me. And so it's a very personal, a wilderness to me is a very personal place to be. Because it's when, that's when you're taking the word and you're hearing it and then doing what it says until he takes you on the next part of your journey and maybe I'll end up in a wilderness again and he needs to transform me <clears> some more. So that's what's just going on in my head. I think definitely like the modern, you can take it. We, we can take the ancient lesson here of that there were people that said, I'm going to live in town and I'm going to be Greek or I'm going to go out of town and I'm going to be Jewish and take that to, I'm going to be in Brentwood and be American, but am I going to be a Christian American or am I, or completely makes a lot of sense, I'm going to go out to Africa or South America, I'm going to serve there, I'm going to build wells. I mean, they were doing that, right? I'm going to go build wells in Guatemala. Is that leaving the culture behind to go do that? And they're both valid for us at different points in our own lives. Well, and I, I, was, I totally agree with what you had to say. Um, and the older I get, the more I see how God makes us all so different. And we're all gifted in different ways. And God calls us in different ways. And the way God calls you is not the way maybe God calls me. 
And it's also not looking at someone else's gifts and thinking that I'm called to do their gifts, but seeking God's word in my life and finding out what that gift is. And that just might be in my daily living, is just being aware of how God is calling me and what's in front of me that day, and using the gifts that God has given me to work with where I am at that moment. So I, I do believe that, like when I watch that, I think, well, that's great and everything, but I think of the nuns and, and the priests. And yeah. I really think God calls us to that. I think God calls us out. But he, he takes our gifts and, and the my husband will probably tell you, mine is probably not going to Africa. It's just not. <laughs> but it might be going on the inner city international. So, I mean, it's just, it's all different. God calls us differently. How is he working in our lives to use the gifts he's gifted us with? That's awesome. Yeah, like, real quick, Justin Monday lives in, like, a really rough part of town in uh, sort of very close to where I grew up at. And for him, considering his background and how things that he does, that, it, that would be like being called out. Like even to be quite honest with you, the experience of me, the way that I grew up in North in Bordeaux, coming here is sort of that same thing. <laughs> yeah. Because it's so unusual. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's so different for me. Yeah. So I think that it's much more of a, 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 a metaphoric thing for every individual. Yeah. Uh, the uh, scenes had a uh, an understanding of God's word from the Hebrew scriptures for a very specific purpose. And that calling was to prepare the way mm -hmm. for the coming of the Lord. And you know, in those, uh, for each of us, if we were to adopt, what is God calling us to do? Uh, and I think that becomes maybe personal. They just did it collectively. But of course, when Jesus came, his message was, I want you to go into all of the world and make disciples of all nations. And so it's like he's inviting his message to go worldwide and not be so much focused upon that narrower perspective as the scenes are. Well, isn't that, I mean, there you go. Is However, which way we feel called to prepare the way for God. That's, that's still our job, right? Right. However, it's here or... Yeah, I thought this is sort of a case straight on. How does our faith interact with culture? And so we see the scene, we said, okay, well, yeah, there's influence in Greek culture coming in, we're just going to go out and we do the serve what we think our faith should be, and by creating our own culture. And so I thought each generation, or each, where you put Christianity in different places, it's going to, it's going to go to, uh, or quite, certain characteristics of the culture it's in. And so, to me, like a modern day version of the essence of the Amish. Yeah. Like people who choose to make a part of the culture they're in, or like, and they go out into the wilderness, the country of our own country, and choose to live a different way and study their scripture. And so to me, it's like how we as people of faith embrace our culture, but not let it change us to still be people I'm so with you. And that culture thing, I, I, that's where I got kind of, so we don't have time, and I'm just going to show you a little, I, what we're going to do in the emails is there's some really good content from the study guide of some background information about how the Dead Sea, Scroll, Dead sea Scrolls were found, and a, a little bit of history of, sort of, I don't it's a bad word, invasion of the culture. Uh, we're going to put that in the email, and then also, 
some of this, like, I think the, where I, I bristled at this thing was the Greek culture was painted as bad. Those bad Greeks came in and they changed. No, there was all this really super valuable stuff that came from Greek culture. And there's stuff like this that is baked into the scripture that is Greek. Even the Christos, that's Greek, right? So the, ah, this is for some other time, uh, but we'll put some of that in the email. Thank you guys so much for what a great participation. Uh, we'll, I'll work better on audio next time. Looking forward to seeing you next week.